Have you ever had a plan? Have you had a, ever had a dream? Have you, let's, let's just take something. Pastor Time was on vacation just a little while ago. Have you ever planned a, a trip? And you had it in your head. You had it, you, you had it thought out in your head. Just what a wonderful time it was going to be. But then the family showed up. Right? <laughs> the kids are complaining. It's not good enough. And, and the, the things that you have built up in your head of how you wanted to bless your family, how you wanted to have a good time, how you wanted to build memories, actually created a completely different result. Right? Have you ever, have you ever been in art class and you, and, and you had this vision in your head of something you wanted to draw, something you wanted to paint? And, 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 and it was in your head, but it didn't get translated to the paper. Right? You've seen it so clear, but it just didn't work out the way that you hoped. Well, the, good, the thing about that is, is that you're not alone. God had a plan. God had a dream. God had a vision. And he had this idea. See, See, the Trinity dwelt together in love and in harmony. And just like when a husband and wife comes together and, and, and they have love, they desire to share that love. They, they desire to share that love. So what do they do? They have children. They have children. You know, the reason why we have children is that we don't, we don't birth children because we want somebody to love us. That's sadistic, ain't it? No. You want to birth children so you can shed your love upon them. And God had this plan. He had this dream. He desired for our family. He desired children. Why? So that he could shed his love upon them. And he built this wonderful playground. He created everything that they would ever need. The Bible calls it Eden. Literally, it was paradise. And everything was beautiful. And the kids showed up. And it didn't go according to God's plan. But thank God, he's not like us. For, for us, if it doesn't go right, you know what? We just say, well, I can't say that word. Um, <laughs> forget it. We say forget it. We just say forget it. We just mark it off as a bad memory. But our father didn't forget us. He still had faith in his dream. He still had faith in his family that he desired. And even though he rested on the seventh day, after his children walked away, he went back to work to redeem us, to buy us back, to purchase us back, to bring us, to bring us home. 
Even Job understood this. I mean, thousands and thousands, well, at least, at least three to 4,000 years before Jesus showed up on the scene. He makes his proclamation. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was unquestioned by people living in the first century. Do you know that? You know, we think that these question marks on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is historical fact that Pontius Pilate crucified Jesus. Everyone's seen it. It was written down. And people living in first century didn't question that. They, they, they probably walked by and seen the Roman guards on the second day, first day, second day, standing outside the tomb. They've seen it with their own eyes. They heard it with their own ears. They experienced it. And then on the third day, the good news that the tomb was empty, that Jesus Christ has raised from the dead. These same Jewish people, these same Roman soldiers, these people that were dwelling in Jerusalem, seen the empty tomb. They seen with their own eyes. They, I just imagine thousands upon thousands of people in procession walking by the tomb, just to get a glimpse inside. This tomb, which three days earlier, a severely beaten, crucified, pierced through, self-proclaimed Messiah was laid. He was embalmed with over a hundred pounds of spices like myrrh and aloe. They, they wrapped his body like a mummy. He must have weighed close to 280 pounds by the time he was, they were done. They wrapped all the fingers separately. They wrapped his toes separately. They wrapped them all the way up to his neck. The Roman soldiers sealed the tomb and put a Roman seal upon, upon it. And anyone that broke that seal, the penalty was death. R Rome authorized their own guards to stand outside. Everyone knew what had happened. That's why Peter so boldly proclaimed this truth at Pentecost on Pentecost Day, he's, he preaches to the crowd. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know. He's not convincing anyone. He's telling them what happened. This man delivered over by you, nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put to death. But God, 
but God. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the way of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Verse 29, brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he is both dead, he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. See, they knew where David was buried. They could visit David's tomb. They know where Mohammed's buried. They can visit Muhammad's tomb. They know where Buddha's buried. They can visit Buddha's tomb. They know where Hanukkah is buried. They can visit that tomb too. But they guess where Jesus was buried. They say this is where they think. Why? Because there's no one there. There's no reason to visit it. It probably got used again. Jesus only borrowed it. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on this throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God. See, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 5, it declares that there were over 500 people that seen Jesus Christ as into his ascension into heaven. See, people think that if seeing is believing, well, 500 people seen Jesus raise or ascend into heaven, and they didn't all make it to the upper room. I think that's interesting. The early church did not have to prove that Jesus arose from the dead. It was self-evident. They knew. They might have had questions. They might not have had understanding, but they knew. They saw the empty tomb, and they knew Jesus has risen. See, I, I have no problem with apologetics. I believe that they have their place. And if you don't know what apologetics is, it's a way of uh, um, preaching the gospel or sharing the Bible in a way that, that the rational mind can understand it. It's, a, it's more of a scientific way. It's using facts like a lawyer would use to prove his case. And I think that... That's good. That's fine. And there's, and there's places where that is important. But just having the facts, just being able to understand it with your mind does not produce faith. 
Faith is of the Spirit. And this morning, I know that God desires for all of us to come into faith. For some of us, it might be to come into faith in the, the, the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Your need for a Savior to be born again, to be filled with his Spirit. For others of us, we need faith to believe who we are, to see us as the bright ones in the earth, to know what God has accomplished through Christ in us, and to live our lives as so. See, they knew that Jesus raised from the dead. But what does that mean to us today? What does that mean to us today? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, it says, For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He transferred us in the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. All of humanity was born into darkness. There are two kingdoms in the earth. You're either born into darkness, you're either in the kingdom of darkness or you're in the kingdom of light. And God desired for his family to come home. And the Bible says that, that, there, that he is light. And in him there's no shadow of turning. And he desires all of humanity to leave the kingdom of darkness and come into his light. And how did he do that? He did that through the cross. He redeemed us. He paid the price. He paid the penalty for sin. See, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid your wage. See, so many people think that God was the one that killed Jesus. That God said, I hate humanity. I desire for them to be just vanquished from the face of the earth. And Jesus stepped in and said, no, Father, no, Father, do, do not bring your wrath upon humanity. Instead, bring your wrath upon me. And that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. So why did Jesus have to go through that? Because the kingdom of darkness demanded it. Sin demanded it. The wrath that was poured out on Jesus was the wrath of sin. And Jesus brought the sin of humanity into his servant body and destroyed it so that we can be set free, so that we don't have to fear death, so that we can have forgiveness of our sins because we have been redeemed. See, there's no judgment. You would be surprised at how many Christians are afraid of going to heaven. They're afraid of going to heaven because they think there's going to be some judgment. Well, there will be if you are depending on your own works, 
If you're depending on your own ability, if you are depending on your own self-righteousness to stand before God. But for the Christian, it's a celebration. For the one that puts his hope in Christ, in our Redeemer, there's nothing to fear. There will be no judgment like there was for Jesus. There will be no cross or crown for us, or a crown of thorns for us. There will be no fear of future suffering for the person who takes Jesus Christ as their Savior. For it is impossible for you to confess the Lordship of Jesus without receiving the very nature of God himself. What a miracle redemption is. What a redemption. When a child of the kingdom of darkness becomes a child of God and takes up residence in the kingdom of light. See, to a person that is ruled by their sense knowledge, a person that is ruled by their intellect, their soul, what they, what they think, their emotions, they cannot understand that miracle because the new birth is not something that resides in our senses. The new birth is an unseen miracle but it's the greatest miracle that God has ever performed. It happened, happens in the spirit realm. See, a person's soul or reason faculties cannot be born again. They have to be renewed. They cannot receive the nature of God independent from the spirit of God. See, your soul, your body can manifest the new birth, but it comes through your spirit. See, so many of us are trying to do things to make us more godly when it's not the outside act. It's an inside work. It's right believing that creates right living. It's understanding who you are as a child of the king. It's understanding that you are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. It's understanding that you once were a sinner, but now you're a saint. It's understanding that once you were an unholy thing, separate from God, but God has brought you into the beloved. And he calls you holy. Amen. See, you are a spirit. You have a soul. Your soul is made up of your will, your emotions, your intellect. Some people call it the mind. It's what makes you realize that you are. And then you live in a body. It's interesting that when God says, let us make man in our image, and God was a triune being, he made us a triune being also. We were recreated. Your spirit, the part of you that has been, is what is the part of you that's been recreated. Second Corinthians 5, chapter 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ 
And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You are a new creation. Because our Redeemer lives, anyone can accept Christ and, and know the moment that they do, they become a completely new creation. This morning, if you don't like the way that your life is going, you can become a new creation. If you have already become a new creation, you can renew your mind to the fact that you old things have passed away and all things have become new. Because we are ambassadors for Christ, we are proclaiming the resurrection. Do you know that this morning? That the bright ones, the image bearers of Jesus Christ, are a proclamation that he lives. God desires his children, the children of light, to, to, be, to manifest the truth that our Redeemer lives this morning. Righteousness. To be right with God. So many people have fear when it comes to God. So many people feel that they are separate from God because they don't feel that they're right. And so many people work diligently, sincerely, hard at trying to be right with God. In, sec, in, in verse 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it goes on to tell us, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the, the righteousness of God in him. Redemption is not about working our way to be right before God. It's about being created right. See, it's all of faith this morning and every day. It's of faith. The just shall live by faith. You are, you are not righteous because you feel righteous. Do you know that? You're righteous because you were created righteous, and not just with any righteousness. It wasn't the righteousness of the best person that ever lived. It wasn't the righteousness of Mother Teresa. It was the very righteousness of God. You can't be more right than that. You cannot be more right than that. But Chad, I don't feel it. Well, you don't feel it. You want to know why? Because you don't believe it. If you believe it, then you feel it. See, so many people want to feel righteous. They want to feel like a new creation. And that's not the way that it works. Because most people, they feel like they're a loser. They feel like they're no good. They feel like they're a sinner. And guess what they do? Yeah. Nothing ever works for me. Everything that happens fails. I'll never get ahead in life. God will never accept me. If I go into church, the roof's going to cave in. The list goes on and on about what people believe about themselves and what they believe about God. But the good news is, is that God has accepted you, that God has recreated you. He's put his very spirit within you. 
Believe the good news this morning. He has made you right with him. And if God has made you right, you can never be wrong. We might do wrong things, but that doesn't make you wrong. It just makes us dumb. <laughs> this is amazing. I, I, I don't know if you guys are grasping this or not, but this is amazing. This is amazing. All the bondage, all, all, of, the, all of the condemnation, everything, everything that has held you down, God says, it's gone. See, this new creation... See, the Bible teaches this constant renovation. Or not, did I say the Bible? The Bible doesn't teach a constant renovation. Man teaches constant renovation. You know, where it's a work in, you're, you're a work in progress. That God has to continue um, changing you from the inside. And, and if you work hard enough and you pray hard enough and you read your Bible enough and you do all these things, then one day you might be worthy. Where the truth of the matter is, is that he created you worthy. He, you're a new creation. And everything that you need has already been put inside you. It's a beautiful thing. It's kind of, it's I know we're celebrating Easter Day, but it's like Christmas morning. Where you go out and there's just all this stuff under the tree. And it's a gift. It's there for you to enjoy. And you go to one gift and you open it up and you see it's holiness. I'm, I'm holy. You go to another gift and you open it up and you see it's the righteousness of God. That I don't have to live in condemnation anymore. That God, God has qualified me and, I, and, I, and I'm qualified. You go over and open up another gift and you find joy. And you think, joy? You mean I can experience joy in this life? And then you run over and you open up another gift and you find self-control. Some of us have left that one untouched for a little bit. But, but you realize that you... That, that, that's when it gets you a little angry. You mean that God has given me self-control? You mean I don't have to be controlled by the flesh? I don't have to be give in to temptation? I am free? The grace of God has set me free? See, we got this all wrong. It's all in you. It's like peeling back the layers of an onion. Just, just getting more and more and more. It's not on the outside. It's already been put in you through Christ Jesus. The Spirit of God lives in you, and he wants you to awaken to who you are. But this is not yet the climax of our redemption. It gets gooder. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, God is faithful. I love that. I, I, I could park on this for a while. God is faithful. It's not about you being faithful. It's about God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't think, you know, this is one of those scriptures that you probably have read before in your Bible and you just go over it. 
and think nothing of it, but this is profound. This is a profound statement. Do you understand the reality of this simple statement? The great eternal Father God, the creator of the universe, that he should call me, should call me into fellowship with his son, to become identified with that son, to become one with that son. See, as a parent, we're cautious with who our kids hang out with. Why? Because we're afraid that they're going to have influence on them. And something that's hard to wrestle with is our kids, we shouldn't be afraid of our kids have other kids have an influence on them. We should have, the other fa- parents should be afraid of our kids having influence on them. Whatever, I, whatever that. I think you got it. You understood what I said. See, the problem is, is we're afraid to get our hands dirty. We're afraid to go in the world. We're afraid of all these things. Because we're afraid of the world getting in us. You know, if God had that mentality, God was not afraid of the sinners. He sh- Jesus shared a meal with them. And do you know that sharing a meal was a religious thing? It was a religious proclamation? See, see the Jews wouldn't eat with Gentiles. Why? Because they weren't accepted. They were un clean. But Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus ate with tax collectors and publicans and sinners. And you don't understand when when Jesus did that, he was proclaiming that they're not unclean. They belong to the Father just the same as you and I do, just the same as the Pharisee does, just the same as the most religious person on the face of the earth. Jesus was proclaiming that they're God's children too. And when people hang out with Jesus, when they played with God's Son, it changed them. Zacchaeus, that wee little man, Zacchaeus had dinner with Jesus, and it changed him. It took him, for, from, it took him from someone that was greedy, that, that was a thief, that used and abused people, and made him generous. It made him to ask forgiveness, to make amends for his wrongs. See, This is the miracle. The Father knows that anyone who accepts his Son as Savior and confesses him as Lord, at that moment, he will give that person something that will make them absolutely a new creation. You can't hang out with Jesus without changing. Be careful. 
See, some of you this morning don't hang out with Jesus all too much because you're afraid that he's going to make you strange. He's going to make you different. I'm here to tell you he is. He's going to make you different. He's going to change you for the better. He's going to teach you how to truly live. He's going to teach you how to truly experience joy. He's going he's to teach you that the party never ends with him. See, the problem with, with the world is, is they think that, that uh, Jesus is the party pooper. <laughs> but Jesus isn't against parties. He's, isn't, isn't, he's not against having a good time. He's, he is all for it. He just doesn't want it to end. See, the wages of sin is death. If you, if you, if you party in a way that is contrary to how God designed us to live, guess what happens? It's destructive. It leads to addictions. It leads to heartache. It leads to brokenness. It leads to financial ruin. It leads to so many different things. God desires for you to party. You know, when we get to heaven, the first thing we do, guess what we do? We have a party. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he's been preparing it for 2,000 years. Guess what? That's going to be one heck of a party. See, the moment that you accept Jesus as your Savior, you will be a new creation. The Father knows this. The Father knows that, that you will be in the same class with Jesus. In, uh, you're, you're, right there, you're praying. What? That's the Father's desire. He's our Father. Do you know that God is... <laughs> Religion calls him God. But Jesus says, when you pray, pray this way, our Father. Right there could change your whole world if you started seeing God as your Father. We will be actually, the Bible calls us children of God. And I know that you've heard that before, but you don't believe it. It's just a religious phrase. It's Christianese. I'm glad God believes it. You are a child of God. The old spiritual condition that links, that linked us to Satan has ceased. It's gone. It's been severed. It's dead. It's been left in the grave. The Bible says that it was circumcised. That's a whole other teaching. That it was cut away from you. That it's gone. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You're either a sinner or you've been saved by grace and now is a child of God. You can't be both. So ask yourself this morning, am I a sinner or am I a child of God? And if you find yourself saying, I think I'm a sinner, guess what? 
It's so easy to become a child of God. The old spiritual condition that linked us to that kingdom of darkness has ceased, and we have become God's own people. We have, we have God's own nature, and it's imparted to us by the Spirit of God. Now, you're as much a father's son or daughter as Jesus is when he walked this earth. As righteous as the first begotten, because the first begotten, Jesus, is our righteousness. What a miracle. I wish that the church would just awaken to this. We've been preaching it for years, or maybe we've been preaching sin for years. Sin is not the issue. Jesus is the issue. What are you going to do about Jesus? The new creation, our redemption, outshines anything in creation. It takes a child of the devil with his heart filled with violence towards his fellow man and not just modify the nature. No, sir. See, <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. Yeah, do you remember the old show, um, um, fix, uh, not Fixer Upper, um, uh, Extreme Home Makeover? That is how God renovates us. I was talking about that a little, little while ago, how religion thinks that it's something that you got to continually work on. No, the Holy Spirit comes in and knocks the entire stinking building down. Extreme home makeover, that wasn't a makeover. That was a new creation, right? And usually they keep one little thing from, from the, uh, the, old, the old house or whatever that they were doing, like a little memory. And I think, well, that's our, that's our flesh. You look in the mirror, oh, yeah, that's still me. But that's what God does. He doesn't renovate you. You're not a work in process. The Holy Spirit has come in and made all things new. He gives us a completely new nature, destroying the old nature, giving us a position as a son or daughter of God, giving us the rights and privileges of sonship, giving us the very place of a son in the Father's heart and in the family. This is amazing grace, and this is the love of God let loose. This is the climax that you and I shall be called the children of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us to triumph in Christ and, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? The word picture here is associated with a triumphal procession. A parade. 
of a victorious Roman general. When a Roman general had won a battle of notable, a notable victory, he would march his armies through the street, followed by his, his captives. I'm his captive. The, the spoils of battle were displayed and given to the people. Censers were also carried in the parade and dispensed dispensed a pleasant aroma. You are the aroma of Christ in the earth. You are censor bearers of God. You're following our general. That sweet, sweet aroma. The resurrection, our redemption, is a proclamation that the enemy of humanity has been defeated. When you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, you join in this possession and are image bearers of our Lord. I lost my place. You're image bearers of the, of the king. And God will lead us to triumph in Christ, manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Wherever you go, you bring that aroma. Wherever you go, you bring that aroma. You bring Christ. You bring the resurrection. You are a, a proclamation that Jesus lives. You are children of God. You have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. Wherever you go, he goes with you. Whatever you do, he's doing with you. You're representing our King. In our life, God intends us to be the testimony that Jesus lives. The church, the body of Christ, is the testimony that Jesus lives. So how can you ever say that you can't succeed in life when God's counting on you to represent him? How can you say that God is going to forsake you when God's counting on you to be a sweet aroma to those that are being saved, how can you say that you're not qualified, you're not good enough, when you're censor bearers for the King of Kings? Wherever you go, you bring the aroma of the knowledge of Jesus, the knowledge of his victory, the aroma of redemption. To those that reject his redemption, it's the smell of death unto death. That's why the God-haters call us those stinking Christians. They, they can't stand it. But to those that are, embrace the grace, it's life unto life. Romans 5, 17 says, For if one man's offense meant that men should be slaves to death all their lives, it is a far greater thing that through another man, Jesus Christ, men by their acceptance of his more than sufficient grace and righteousness should live all their lives like kings. That's God's desire for you. 
that you and I should reign as kings. We should reign as kings. See, <laughs> we either start, got to start believing this, or we got to start saying the Bible's not true. God desires every single one of us to reign in life as kings. The natural man can hardly grasp the significance of this. Why? Because you're looking on the outside. You're thinking about the car you drove up in today. You're thinking about your palace that you're going back to later this afternoon. You're thinking, hey, don't look like no king. It's in you. And maybe if you started believing that, maybe you, things would start changing. Some of you are working the same, same job that you've hated for years because that's what you think you're good enough for. I mean, talk about simple. Let's just talk about that right there. There are people that, live, that work 40 years at a job they hate because that's all they think they're qualified for. When you were called to be a king, you were called to rule life, your sphere of influence. You were called to do so much more. You were called, you were called by God to do amazing things in the earth. And listen to me. What you might think is amazing is different than someone else that's amazing. You know what's amazing nowadays is someone showing up at the factory on time, putting a hard day's work in, blessing his employers, blessing his um, co-workers, being a light, being the aroma of Jesus in that. I'm not saying that we all got to go out and, and create rockets that go to space. You find what God has put in your heart, that desire that God has put in your heart, the thing that you love to do. What, what do you want to do with your life? If you could do anything in the world, what would you want to do? Let's get past go on vacation and, and sit around and be lazy because that's, that'll get old real quick. After you sit around and be lazy and tour the world a little bit, if you could do anything, what would you want to do? How do you want to affect the earth? If you can answer that question, you're very close to finding your destiny. And if you can answer that question, all you can do is say, now how do I make money doing this? And usually if you love something, it's not about trying to make money. Money automatically comes once you do it. But that's, that's just a simple thing of how you're supposed to be reigning in life as kings. And we're living like everybody else without a hope. That we're not special. That we're not created for purpose. Or that we don't have a destiny. That we're not world changers. That we're not atmosphere shifters. That we don't bring the presence and the aroma of Christ to the places that we go. The natural mind can hardly grasp the significance of this. We now reign as masters and kings over our lives. Understand that. 
we're kings over our lives. We don't rule and reign over other people's lives. We're no longer slaves to the kingdom of darkness. We are carriers of the light of God. So what does this redemption mean? What does this redemption mean? We have been taken from slavery to the throne. We have become masters where fear once held us. We are now reigning as kings in the realm of life. We have been set free and are now bondage breakers for the rest of humanity. Do you see yourself that way? We're not, we're not ones that get set free and then leave humanity behind. No, we go in with that aroma of Christ. We go in with the Spirit of God. We go in with, with the ability and the nature of Jesus Christ himself. We go in back into the kingdom of darkness, and we keep bringing them out. We break the chains of bondage off other people. We tell other people that, that God has an awesome life for you, that God desires to make you new, that everything that you hate about yourself, guess what? God has taken care of. What an awesome Savior. What an awesome salvation. If the church could just awaken to this, could just awaken and just believe it, let's just, I said this a couple weeks ago, but let's, let's just play with it a little bit. Let's think about it a little bit. Let's wake up in the morning. Maybe put a little sticky note on your, probably your cell phone because that's the first thing you probably grab when you get up in the morning. Have an alert that says, today I will reign in life. Today I am a sweet-smelling aroma in this earth. Today I am a child of God full of destiny and hope and purpose. Today is the day that the Lord has made. And I'm going to live the day that the Lord has made for me. Why? So I can rejoice in it. Right? Do you know how many people? We should be rejoicing every day. Do you know why we don't? Because we're not living the day that the Lord has made. We're living the day that we have made. We have all of this because of the resurrection. We have all of this because our Redeemer lives. Amen? Well, this morning we're going to celebrate this truth through communion. And the way that we practice communion here at Karis New Testament Church is the way that we believe that the Bible says it. You don't have to be a member of, our, of Karis New Testament Church. You just have to be a believer. You have to be a believer. You have to be this new creation. Because what we're about to do, we are about to do in faith. We're about to have faith. We're about to proclaim something over our lives. That we are in communion with God. That God himself, his body was broken for us. That God himself, his blood, his act of sacrifice rescued us, redeemed us. From the kingdom of darkness. This morning we're, we're, we're proclaiming that we're new creations in that sacrifice. That we have been made new. 
that he bore our sicknesses, he carried our sorrows, and by his stripes we are healed. That the blood of Christ is sufficient and that we are qualified, that we are saints, we are in the family of God. The Bible calls it a union. You have been united with Christ. We have been baptized into Christ. We have been submerged, dunked into Christ and come into perfect union with him. Again, that happens in your spirit. And the more you believe it, the more it gets on the outside of you. You are a child of God this morning. The Bible says that we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. That we are the bride of Christ. That Christ has come, just, just as the two become one, the marriage is, is such a beautiful, a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. That's why it's so sacred. It's because it represents, a husband and wife coming together represents you and Christ, the church of God, coming together and becoming one in union. And God loves his church. Jesus loves his church. He would never lift a hand to it. He'd, he'd never lift a hand. He would never abuse her. So this morning, if you're born again, if you're a believer, this is a proclamation of our new life in Christ. And this morning, if you're not a new creation, but you want to be, you can take communion. And in so doing, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, in so doing, proclaiming that he is your redeemer, and, amen. And so, in so doing, in so doing, becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, you've been listening to a message from Caris New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.carisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved highly favored and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.